You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. World Talk Radio. Welcome to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, The Power of Water. We have really enjoyed every week having everyone involved, and we found ourselves excited about the responses that we've been getting. Um, this segment every week is going to be The Power of Water and Global Warming. We have found people very fascinated, listeners, about global warming and water evaporation. They never thought about water evaporation. People have been misunderstanding that global warming is only people-caused. Um, it is not just, it's not people-caused. Since the end of the Ice Age, we have had a global warming trend, and it started another cycle for or Earth change. Global warming means the Earth is getting warmer, the soil is getting warmer, Therefore, your water is evaporating quicker. Any rains that come down, your dew that you can't see, uh, hail, uh, snow, touches the soil and evaporates so quickly that you are having a water evaporation. What do we live with every, uh, with our cycle on this earth? We live with earth. Earth is not going to live with us. We live with earth. What are we going to learn about global warming and learning to live with the water that is evaporating way too quickly for us to be able to be healthy? What you can learn together with this show and each show to come is how to be healthier. Some tips that are very free. You don't have to pay for them. And then also learn what you can do for your generation, your family, your friends, and pay it forward as a gift to future generations to live and be healthy. There's a description I want to tell you about dehydration of the body. The moment you were born, you entered the air, you breathe from the pocket of water. Immediately you begin to live in the air you're breathing. Indoors, uh, forced air, heating and cooling, insulated windows and walls, uh, paints, uh, everything that, it, uh, that is evaporating you today is coming from Indoors is more extreme than outdoors, but now you're finding out because of global warming, the education is the water is evaporating and will 2,000 years from now, though they have water. Today we are going to have Nancy Yonley Coleman, who's going to be our special guest on senior citizen aging and wellness and planning. I think this is going to be a very fascinating education to us all. Let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor, and we will be right back. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. 
or if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. Welcome back to the show of Lana Hour, The Power of Water, Global Warming, and What Can We Do to Help Each Other to Be Healthy and uh, Pay It Forward to Live with This Earth. Um, today we have Nancy Yonley Coleman, who's a very special person. I've known Nancy for many, many years, and I was wanting better education for our listeners for, L- for the, our senior citizens' wellness and aging planning. Nancy. Good morning, Sharon. How are you this morning? I'm fine. How are you? Well, thank you for joining us because I know how busy you are. I think this is going to be a very exciting segment for our listeners uh, to listen to again and again and again. Um, tell us a little bit about why you got involved, because as long as I've known you for over 30 years, you've been involved with senior citizens and aging. Tell us what, how that happened for your, for your career choices. Well, I've been um, involved in the wellness field. I went into uh, nursing uh, because I was so excited about wellness Unfortunately, as I traveled through the educational process of learning how to be a nurse, we really did not focus on wellness. It was uh, illness. So after training, I was fortunate enough to find some physicians that were very, very, um, they were visionaries and had a great deal of uh, optimism about the human being and the process of aging. So what you're saying is that long ago you noticed that people were only taking a, a special attention once the illness, the symptom is there, and they don't, didn't concentrate on preventing that, called wellness. The process that, um, and as I continued through my career, as a became a corporate trainer and management consultant, but almost always uh, within the health field. I worked with the health department for uh, approximately 10 years, and during that time, my focus was on not just, um, you know, maintaining, uh, giving immunizations and some training, but to really try to stimulate people to think about their personal responsibilities as their health, uh, their health coordinator. So, so that Nancy, then I had, uh, you've had training also for occupational health and wellness. Yes, yes, I've um, I have had an opportunity. I worked with Wellness 2000, and uh, we had a contract with the National Forestry Department, and I had the pleasure of working with folks from. Uh, Alabama to um, uh, the border of, of Canada, so I had uh, I were, was able to to interact with thousands of people nationwide. Now, Nancy, when you were working with that, something came to mind as you were talking. Is and if I should interrupt you, it's because I want the listeners to understand some of the descriptions you're talking about. Uh-huh. Um, when you were working with the occupational wellness. Uh, program. Did you find a lot of people that were coming close to retirement? Uh, were what was some of the uh, what was were you tra- teaching them to prepare for that? Uh, primarily, that um, uh, learning is a lifestyle, and that as we change, we just we have more choices, 
and the process of change uh, means, uh, of course, some adaptation, but it uh, can be replaced where one person is. Uh, you know, I, I want to go into something else just, a, just for a moment, and that's what I consider to be gerontophobia, the fear of aging and the prejudice against uh, the old. And I really perceive ageism as a major challenge for society to, to get beyond the old perception. Okay, let's back up. That's a good one. Um, so you found that people who are aging, now you found that the people they were working with, including the people well, as, they were working with, or just the person that was aging and getting ready for retirement? Some of these folks that I'm talking about right now, Sharon, were uh, in the process of planning for retirement, but had a great deal of fear, uh, the fear of change, the fear of giving up their identity, uh, the fear of uh, being old. Um, and that's why, I'm, why I focus so much on some of my seminars on that perception uh, the perception of old and replacing it with something different, something that gives people um, a different idea. There, there is prejudice in our society, I believe, against becoming old. We now, have been for many years a young, uh, a youthful oriented society. Nancy, excuse me for inter interrupting, but do you think that's also the person themselves? that's a little concerned about aging themselves and then they're perceiving that maybe other people are thinking they're getting older? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, a great deal of that's part of the identity, uh, trying to maintain an identity of being worthwhile mm -hmm. because there have been, um, you know, they, we have for uh, as long as I can remember had um, had a very some negativity toward the process of getting old because we're used to being productive, uh, vibrant, and we see that mirrored in, uh, you know, through all advertising and through our friends and coworkers. Okay. Uh, it's sometimes subtle, but it's very, very... Of threatening. all the cultures of the world, the Americans, is it possible, are the most energetic, energetic people, mentally and physically. They're on the go. A lot of people think because we're not riding bikes everywhere that we're, and we're not walking everywhere that we're not. But I believe the American people are expecting for themselves to age and be as, uh, as aggressive and ambitious and energetic because I bet we have more people exercising and aging people exercising, belonging to organizations than anywhere in the world, and their lives are moving on and working longer now. Am I wrong? Oh, no, you're not wrong. Fortunately, uh, I think you're very right. There are, uh, and this is from um, a book that I encourage people to read, Age Wave by Ken Dichtwald, uh, uh, Ph.D. Age He's wave. identified three ages of man. Um, Nancy, let's repeat that. Age Wave, and who's the author? Age Wave, a wonderful book, and it's of our time. Uh -huh. The author is Ken, D-Y-C-H-T-W-A-L-D, okay. the Ph.D., and has just gathered, uh, amassed a great, um, in this book there's so much research that pulls things together, and it's a very optimistic 
positive approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm, I've been intrigued with his three ages because I believe it so sincerely. And just very quickly, I'll, I will summarize them. The first age is from birth to approximately 25 years of age, where the primary task of life centers around biological development, learning, and survival. The second age is from 26 to 60, and the concerns at that point focus on issues pertaining to the formation of family, parenting, productive work, very busy years, and lots of social activity. Until several decades ago, people didn't expect to live much longer than that. However, with coming out of the age wave, a new era, and this is where he identifies the unfolding of the third age, Uh and that's uh, the purpose of the third age, is um, a period for giving back to society the lessons, resources, and experiences accumulated and articulated over a lifetime. And I believe this so, I've see, I see it, I know it, I live it. Um, from this perspective, the elderly can be seen not as a throwaway social out- outcast, but as a living bridge between yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Don't you think it's possible that if our listeners could stop and understand and, and, and educated now today through your, this is just wonderful uh, education, uh, and I would like to do this again. I know we'll never have enough time today. But do you believe that all of us today could learn to live through our grandparents, our grandparents, and take more of an appreciation of what they have to offer? Yes. Um, and be better mannered. The, the dignity that's offered from our parents and our grandparents, hopefully the example they're giving to us to become better people, um, stronger people uh, with excellent good concerns of other people's uh, needs and good old-fashioned manners. And people listening could hear that what you're just saying is that people today are aging very exciting, yes. exciting of opportunities to age and live for a long time with all the education that's offered. It's not called the pill. It's called what you want to come from within you for a self-examination to learn more. And the generation today can live with their parents and their grandparents and great-grandparents, great-grandparents too, uh, and have an exciting time, like yesterday was Mother's Day. Yes. How many people ex- were so excited to be with the generations of the past and ex- celebrate the Mother's Day? Yes. We were very fortunate to have the four-generation um, uh, contact uh, yesterday and it was wonderful we have a caller uh and coming in nancy uh, that i know would like to ask a question are you there yes hello hello uh, hello uh, cheryl hi how are thank you for calling sure how are you doing fine uh do you have a uh, question for nancy yes i do um i was wondering how um how is the dehydration in you know for the elderly i mean i'm getting up there in my years too and I wanted to know what I got to look forward to. So you're wondering what is happening to the dehydration process of aging that people need to learn about? Yes, ma'am. Oh, good question. Yeah, thank I, you. I think I, I heard most of that, but I think I know I have the gist of it. And uh, from my perspective, and it has been for a very long time, dehydration is a major, I, I see it as a, a major problem 
in society, and part of it, I'm, I'm concerned with the elderly, but I'm concerned that we're starting with our children, and a lot of the the sodas, the Pepsis, the Cokes, the the, the caffeine, even the the coffee drinks, and the tea, everything um. but water, and water is uh, is is vital. In the aging, um, I don't mean to be so fragmented, but I do have this major concern, and you've hit upon a, a topic that I, I dearly love yeah. to talk about, and that's uh, how to prevent dehydration. And the effects of dehydration and what I have witnessed so often in working with seniors in the uh, over the last 40 years is they really, um, it, it has to, it, it affects memory, it affects uh, vitality. If we're, I, I kind of uh, think of the body as a planet and it has uh, such a need for water mm-hmm. and the replacement of our hyd- hydrating. Um, and people don't, it's subtle. It's a very subtle problem. That's why it can be so hazardous because you don't, um, it doesn't, mm-hmm. you're not necessarily ill, but you're not well. Yeah. Well, I would say that you are becoming iller because you're not providing the lubricant water, oh, yes. plain water with any, no additives. Uh, that the person, the moment they were born, it's how I started the show each time, Nancy and Cheryl, is the moment you're born, you left your mother's water, you entered in the air you breathe, that's the day you begin to dehydrate. You must begin to replace at all times mothers with newborn babies all the way to your life is replace moisture, water, plain water, all nothing but water, no added ingredients every day, several times a day. Now, Nancy mentioned, uh, I would like for Cheryl to hear this one, too. What happens when you're aging and these symptoms arise to your stress level? Uh, I'm not sure that I understand, Sharon. It definitely affects... It was all the symptoms you were mentioning is uh, the fact that uh, she was wondering about dehydration and your illness and your symptoms and aging, but what happens when you're not getting enough water and you're stressed as you age? Well, the stress is just an added, uh, provides an added need, an additional need for hydrate, hydration. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more, and it's a cycle. I mean, if you're dehydrated, you have more stress, and if you have more stress, you're more dehydrated. There we go. That's so, a, that's, so it's just a cycle. <laughs> well, this show is the power of water. And of course, I connected to the global warming because People are now thinking that global warming is a, is a crisis. Well, they're not realizing we've had global crisis since the Earth began, and people have to realize the power of water is the most important ingredient to Earth cycle and to the human life and species cycle. And let's go on for our listeners to learn more about all of this fabulous education you're giving us. Well, on one of the things that we and the time of life and and listeners, many listeners have reached that time, or they have someone in their family that's getting closer to the time of life to think about um, what should they put in 
should they begin at what time of life to prepare for their mother and dad, um, the family members, of what would happen in case of a serious illness that was unplanned or, or a car accident or something would happen unplanned that you would be prepared for the hospital, prepared for the emergency. What are some of the educational tips that you could teach us? Well, I think uh, one of the major things, if we're talking about uh, an eventful thing, uh, such as an accident or finding oneself in the hospital uh, unprepared, it um, is extremely important to have an advocate and for that advocate to be someone who's very willing to take a role of um, information gathering and giving, kind of, uh, it's a very, very, um, it can be a very uh, disconcerting situation. So what happens when the person, when you say advocate, advocate that the family has appointed someone that would be on record legally to be able to assist during that crisis. That's very important, and I suggest that at all ages. I mean, that's something that is uh, certainly as we get uh, older, it becomes more eminent, but it's something that all of us should think about. Should, we should not leave that up to uh, chance because that's not what it is the that's not the best choice. The best choice is to think it through, and there is a directive, and everyone should be familiar with the directive. It's uh, it's nationally known, and you make those decisions. The individual, in a, a in a very calm and thoughtful manner, has an opportunity to have control of their choices and have them written. And that takes so much responsibility away from anyone that's put in the position of a health manager. And that's the ideal. The ideal is for us to have gone through the process and made some decisions, have those decisions written and witnessed. And in the event that that has not happened, then someone needs to take the role of navigator. Nancy, we're going to take a moment for our sponsor, and we'll be right back, you and I, and discuss this with our listeners because we're touching on some very, very critical times uh, in our country and the world, and that is an issue that I think a lot of people would like to be reminded of. Uh, we're going to take a moment for our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 
Welcome back to the Sharon Klein Hour, the power of water and global warming. But today we're educating ourselves with Nancy Yonley Coleman, who's been over 40 years involved with senior citizen aging wellness of all ages and occupational health, we're being reminded today. Nancy, when we left to listen to our sponsor, um, you were mentioning about the emergency we were talking about each it doesn't make any difference what age you are. You should always have a document to give you a permission to make decisions in case of emergency for another person. Uh, Nancy, if people can't afford to go to a lawyer to do this, what about is it possible to go and have a written document and have somebody notarize it? Oh, absolutely. It really is not something that you necessarily need. Notary is only what, about $15? Pardon? Is notary having something notary? I'm just guessing. You probably don't know for sure either, but it's less, uh, it's like 15 or $20 to have somebody stand there and witness and be a notary. Yes. And there are many, uh, many places like a person's uh, personal bank that they actually do not charge. Wonderful. That's good for our listeners to hear. So, listeners, what we're learning there from Nancy is it's very important today. Now, we learned this, didn't we, Nancy, with Katrina, that a lot of families were on one side of town and the elderly member of the family was on the other side of town. Uh, we're, we're needing to learn, uh, Nancy, that even if you're in a small community and there's something happen, you're on one side of town your elderly family members on the other side of town, how do you take care of them legally? Because our laws are saying you can't even make a phone call unless you can prove you can legally make a, uh, ask a question. I, I really am not sure I totally understand your question. Well, what I'm saying is, is today because of the laws are so regulated that when you make a call and there's an emergency on all around town, and if you are trying to find out about your mother, your father, your grandma and grandpa, or whoever, you need to prove you have any legal rights to find out more about them um, to where they're at, whether what's happening to them and how to help them. Well, uh, the best way, the most efficient way that I know of to work with something like that is the directive that I was talking about you. The best way to work with that is to put it in the, make sure that it's at the hospital or the hospitals uh, of your community, and that it's with your physician and it's with your lawyer and with yourself or with your health advocate, not necessarily your attorney. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of people would not go to attorney. More people would not go to attorney, and that's because of the cost. Yes. Um, and that's now, not necessary. Uh, you just mentioned something that, uh, on file uh, at the hospital. It is very important. Uh, if you then you have identified at least uh, a couple of people, your uh, health advocate and perhaps at least one other family member. So you have a couple of people identified as persons that can receive information. Wonderful information. We'll move on now to uh, what are you finding with people and the medication they're taking when they're older? Um, and I do know you have a lot of experience uh, noticing of being part of this. What is happening with people, uh, family members, noticing that their mother, their father, uh, their grandparents are taking a lot of medication and they may be not taking the proper uh, medication at the right time of day or doubling up? What is some of the uh, education that we need to learn about that? Well, first of all, it's a major problem. 
it's um, it, it's uh, it has been a problem for a long time, and it's only increasing because the number of medications uh, are increasing. And as the numbers of medications increase, the problem is um, amplified. And the reason I say that is. Um, I, this was a pro- project that I worked on about 30 years ago uh, with pharmacies and trying to get people to just bring all of their medications in in a brown paper bag. And so on the what we found there and then what I have found nationally since then has been that folks are sometimes taking duplicate medications. They're going to several different physicians and or alternative, uh, and you know, um, in other uh, forms of health providers. Now, I want to ask you a question that maybe somebody else in the audience had thought of. So many people are going to, let's say people are going to several physicians, and they're going to have their prescriptions filled maybe at other, not just one drugstore, but other drugstores. So they're taking duplicate medications possibly, and no one has noticed that? Right. No, that's uh, that has been a problem for a long time, and it's we we just are not prepared to, even in the age of uh, in the information age, um, in our community at least, and many others, the the uh, pharmacies are not inter interlinked, and so when you're going to one pharmacy, you're just going to one pharmacy. They don't have access. To your information. This is probably happening in the larger metropolitan areas where people will go to different pharmacies closer to home or if they leave the doctor's office, they've gone closer to the doctor because that's the one closer to the doctor where the prescription went first. Is that possible? Well, actually, most folks at this point are doing shopping, phone, telephone shopping to find out where and what that day what is the best price for a medication. I and know. so it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like so many other things in our society. It's it's uh, money driven, and um, so whatever what pharmacy gives the best so deal that day is sometimes where folks will choose to go. Yeah. What education would you leave our listeners then that would they would just stick to one pharmacy and get to know that pharmacy right. and the pharmacist and that store? That's the ideal. That's the uh, that is the perfect. ideal because at that point then you have a then you're not going to have or you probably are not going to have the duplications and the in- negative interactions. And that can happen to any age. But another greater problem, or as great a problem, is the um, the management, medication management. That becomes a, a very, very ma- a major problem because even, um, and, and I can relate personally because I not only take a couple of uh, medications and a number of supplements, but there are many times when I get so busy and I just don't remember, did I take that this morning or did the phone ring and I was interrupted and I didn't or did something break my pattern? Um, we have create habits, and those are some of our best friends, and they're some of our worst enemies. But in creating a habitual approach to something, if you're interrupted at that critical moment, then it's very easy to uh, become confused about whether or not, because 
it's subconscious. Once a habit becomes established, it's not at the, so at the most So what have you learned in level. your uh, experiences that are the, uh, the answers to this? There are many uh, systems that are available, um, and that helps sometimes when people set their medications up for the day or the week, or if someone else in the family or a friend or a paid um, a, per, a caregiver, mm-hmm. uh, if they set the medications up, and then if someone's monitoring those, um, it's not. Sometimes folks think that they have to go into an assisted living or some kind of medically um, directed uh, facility, and often these things can all be managed at home for a much longer period of time if you just have a little bit of help and support from family, caregivers, um, appropriate people to see these things through. Let's move on now to something because we don't have that much time left, and I know this has been a very, very interesting show to many people listening. Um, When we decide for our family to go to that assistance, you just mentioned to remind us that uh, there's a time that we get to where we forget a lot, we're not doing things uh, coherently the same we used to, um, and we need to move into real good, safe care. D- describe the difference between, and we're going to go through all three of these for me today, Nancy. You have all this experience. Foster care, retirement care, and nursing care. What is the difference between, uh, let's start out with retirement planning care. That okay. first step. When would you uh, uh, suggest to your listen- our listeners that retirement planning care, before the foster or the nursing or whatever, what stage is that? Well, actually, it's um, it's something that's becoming very um, very uh, different. It's different uh, perspective. We have the active adult retirement communities, which are very uh, desirous. Uh, people start planning to go into those um, in their 50s. I know you're involved with a lot of that. Now, in the United States, we're having no end of development for that particular time of life where people want to go live and have all of these wonderful uh, amenities to live at that time of life without worrying about the lawns and all the things, uh, everything you have to do with your maintaining your home, and you move into what's called a retirement village. And some of the, just very quickly, the reasons that people do that is a safe, controlled environment. Okay. Uh, neighbors are vigilant. There are security car patrols. The streets are clean and safe. It's a neighborhood where people know and trust each other. So, and there's a lot of socialization and a supportive atmosphere. And the, the, the homes have been universally planned. So that uh, they're very safe. That would also be something, as you were talking, I was thinking that let's say we have a husband and a wife, and one one of the spouses, this something happened to their health, and one spouse had to move into another, let's say, a foster home or a, a more care of a, of a retirement home, but that other person is able to stay safely alone in that plan. And a retirement plan like that. Yes. Uh, sometimes uh, there are, in some of the uh, planning and development, 
there are the different stages that are uh, a part of a, a planned community where Nancy, there's uh, every, not the foster care necessarily, but the assisted living, the memory care living, and the um, the independent retirement living. You know, we have had the most wonderful time, and I know the listeners have learned so much, Nancy. We're going to have to do this again. This is going to well, be Well, I really appreciate it. It's been fun. I would like to just leave folks with um, a little bit of a positive thing. There are only 5% of people in, in the over 65 that ever go into a nursing care facility. Hmm. That's a pretty impressive. That's, yeah, I'm glad you told us that. I, I never knew that. And also, a body that is properly maintained will show the effects of aging gradually and gently in the 80s, 90s, and beyond. Aging is different than disease. Let's get it. Eighty percent of the health again. problems of older people are preventable or postponable, and oh, that's the process you, of taking responsibility for your own health care. Wonderful. That's wonderful. We'll do this again. Uh, I know our listeners really learned a lot. And uh, would you do this again with us? I'd love to. Thank you, you so uh, much. Thank you, Nancy. You have a nice day. You too, Sharon. Thank you. Let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Bill Jackson, who's uh, Division Chief Hydrology with the uh, National Forest Service. Thank you. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. Welcome to the Sharon Klein Hour, The Power of Water. Today we have a very special guest, Bill Jackson, who's with the National Park Service. We are really excited uh, about you being here, Bill. Are you with us? Uh, I am, Sharon. Well, thank you for taking. I know you're a very busy person. Uh, our show is for the listeners to have a, a lot of education, and we are finding that our listeners are uh, actually archiving this and coming back and listening and hopefully teaching others about what we're teaching. Tell us a little bit about the National Park Service that you're with, Bill. Well, I, yeah, I don't know how many of your listeners are uh, real familiar with the National Park Service, Sharon. Let's, let's I think everybody's aware of the, you know, some of the, you know, the big crown jewel national parks, you know, parks like Yellowstone, Yosemite, Grand Canyon, you know, the Everglades, and, you know, the big ones. Uh-huh. But I, don't, I think what a lot of people don't know is that the National Park System actually uh, uh, consists of over 390 individual units, not only the stunning natural areas I just mentioned, but, you know, 
historic places like Independence Hall or Jamestown, which we've heard a lot about in the news lately, uh, battlefields like Gettysburg and Antietam, a number of significant cultural sites like Mesa Verde or Chaco Canyon, for example. Uh, we've got national seashores and lake shores, national recreation areas, uh, wild and scenic rivers, parkways, monuments, memorials, the whole works. So, you just made me proud. So the national American. Park, Where else in the world could you go with all that um, concentration and focus for history to come? Well, that's what it is. It's an amazing resource, and it's you know really you know dedicated to preserving in many ways some important parts of the uh, the American story. So it is an yeah, that's excitement. A, that's the national park system, and uh, you know within that, uh, you know I primarily focus in the area of water resources. Now, I, I, you are primarily, and are for our listeners to know, why did you choose, because I know everyone, when you choose a occupation and a professional choice, why did you choose hydrology? <laughs> oh, man. That's a long <laughs> well, story. Why did I <laughs> the power of water? Yeah, to have it's a, a long time, but, oh, man, I, I can go back to... Uh, oh, let's do for fun, and we'll come forward. Let's we'll, we'll try to do this quickly, but... Uh, <laughs> I was uh, an undergraduate uh, in mechanical engineering back in the uh-huh. late 60s. I uh, got very interested in the, uh, the, you know, the environmental movement of the, that time. Uh, did a little master's degree work in the uh, natural resources area and then kind of thought that, that, you know, if I really wanted to get, you know, use some of my technical background and use it in a way that uh, promo- promoted uh, important environmental Issues that uh, you know, water resources would be a good a good fit, and I went back and did a. Well, thank a you, Bill, for that program. because look what's going on today. Pardon? Look what's happening today worldwide. People well, that's just it. So water that. has been a, a good choice, and I was uh, real fortunate to be able to join the National Park Service uh-huh. back in about 1989. Uh-huh. Well, as as I've been trying to focus a little bit on the global warming and hydrology, that people were thinking that global warming, if you talk to people on the streets, Bill, they really think that global warming is man-made cause. What can we do to stop that? But they're not recognizing, which I believe is such a very serious educational issue, is learning more about the water uh, and what we can learn about it. Tell us a little bit about uh, the hydrology of the National Parks focus. What are they doing and what have you been uh, concentrating on? Well, we, I mean, you know, the, the... I know that's a great big statement. Well, it is, and, I, you know, maybe I'll peel off your... Yeah, peel it off. warming <laughs> intro there, because, uh, <clears throat> I mean, that that emerging issue is clearly one of the uh, the most challenging issues, well, facing all of society as we move forward in this century, but presenting, the spe- you know, special challenges to the whole concept of... Uh, uh, you know, the management of protected areas uh, in our culture. And, you know, we've, we've been charged with trying to preserve, you know, some pretty significant water resources, you know, the, you know everything from the waterfalls of Yosemite to the uh, aquatic habitats of the Everglades, um, you know, in an unimpaired condition for the enjoyment of you know, future Americans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at this whole idea of climate warming, uh, the fact that one of the most immediate effects of climate warming is the change of the whole hydrologic cycle. Do you know, Bill, that, uh, on the streets, 
If you walked out of your office and walked out and asked just randomly people walking by, what what do they know about global warming? And the first thing they're going to say is man-made. Well, and I think, you know, you know, that's not something I'm an expert on, but as we read more and more of the, the body of science that comes out, there is certainly a, uh, a human contribution, I would say. To, to well, what to I was coming toward is that people don't realize the issue of the crisis is learning what it is and doing something about it, and they don't realize that water is a very serious crisis and what is happening to the Earth's warming effects and what man can do about it and your own personal health. Well, it, it it absolutely is, and we're going to, you know, we're going to see things like uh, snowpacks diminishing in some of our mountain areas, water running off earlier in the the season, uh, streams possibly drying up in the fall that used to remain mm-hmm. wet. So, you know, the entire ecology of you know water and tick dependent environments is going to change. You know, areas. You know, here's a good one for people in the southwestern United States, but it. You know, we've got evidence right now, um, you know, it may be part of long-standing cycles. It may be part of some climate warming. But, you know, the whole Colorado River Basin is mm-hmm. is becoming significantly drier. And that is the water supply for um, the seven southwestern states and, uh, most importantly, states like California, Arizona, Colorado, Nevada, and Utah. So it's, you know... There's going to be some major, you know, changes and adaptions that are going to have to be made, you know, you know, if this whole phenomenon of warming takes place. Well, I, you know, I've said to our listeners, uh, what can we do to pay it forward uh, in this generation to think about for the next generation? Because wouldn't we like for this earth we're living on to be here for eternity? And water is, if you don't have the water, it can't. Well, water. <laughs> no, that's right. I mean, life is <laughs> is pretty water dependent. That's why this. And it doesn't mean mixture of anything with the water. It's water, and uh, I don't know if you know this, Bill, but I was doing some research a few weeks ago, and that more children die of dirty water every year than than HIV, lack of food, and uh, accidents, diseases on this earth. Well, again, you know, national park water is my expertise, but, uh, yeah, I think the global water crisis, both shortages of water and the quality are huge. Um, it may surprise some of your listeners, just, you know, even just looking at our national park system in this country where you think we've maybe got some of our most preserved areas and our, uh, you know, most pristine sites, but uh, we've got... Uh, a number of water quality issues right within our national park system. Uh-huh. Uh, we've got over uh, 1,700 miles of national park rivers that don't even meet uh, Clean Water Act standards for water quality. Uh-huh. Uh, over a million acres of national park uh, lakes and reservoirs also fail to meet those, you know, Clean Water Act standards. So uh-huh. even within the national park system, you know, we're dealing with issues of uh, important issues of of water pollution and water shortage. That's excellent education coming from you and your dedication to doing what you're doing with your professional life. Um, I've always admired individuals, Bill, who get involved in their professional choices to to care about how we live here and how other people live and and take uh, uh, very seriously their uh, 
passions, and I can tell by your tone how you feel there with your passion of what you're doing. Um, what I wanted to ask you, how would you explain and define a global warming? We have a listener who wants to ask you a question. So uh, but how would you explain global warming for our listeners? And then we have somebody who has a question to ask you. <laughs> you know, once again, we're, uh, you know, you're pushing the limits of my expertise. I oversee a, you know, a, a water resources program in the National Park Service, and this is an issue that, you know, you know, I have not been personally studying. But, uh, you know, I my understanding of global warming is probably the same as most lay uh, people's understanding is that, uh, you know, we've got a a trapping of uh, certain types of greenhouse gases, like, or we've got an accumulation of certain types of greenhouse type gases like CO2 in our atmosphere that change the, uh, you know, the the way that incoming solar radiation is radiated back out into space, causing some uh, trapping of that and some, you know, overall increases in... So that's what's happening on the surface of the Earth. ...atmospheric temperatures, but those very subtle increases... Very subtle. ...in uh, in atmospheric temperature tend to translate into fairly major differences in some of the big... You know, atmospheric circulation patterns, mm-hmm. ocean uh, circulation patterns, and other things that really affect the hydrologic cycle. We have a listener, Anne. Anne, are you with us? Yes, thank you. Anne, would you like to ask uh, Bill Jackson a question? Yes, thank you. Thank you for calling. Thank you. Uh, Bill, I'm wondering, what are the standards for uh, pollution um, control in the national park system, and where is the pollution coming from in the wilderness areas? Well, it's... You know, it, it goes well. First of all, let's go to your first question. The 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 regulatory standards for all waters of the United States, whether or not they are in a national park, come from the uh, Federal Clean Water Act, which is for the most part implemented through the states. The the states are delegated responsibility to administer that act. And with some guidance from the federal government, it is the states that develop the uh, standards that apply to water bodies in the United States. And those standards may vary depending on, you know, the the the, the purposes that they're trying, the, you know, the benefits that are to be supported by those water bodies. And uh, so, in the national park system, we've got water bodies that are classified for various purposes, and they may be for high standards like fishing and swimming or, um, uh, you know, national significance, but we have to protect those waters through uh, you know, through the, the provisions of the Clean Water Act and working with the states. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the second part of your question had more to do with where does the pollution come from, mm-hmm. and, you know, I guess the best way to, I mean, there are obviously global causes, atmospheric deposition, and that kind of thing. But probably the best way to think about national parks is as small little enclaves or uh, set-aside areas in a much larger landscape. And in the case of many of our parks, for example, in our eastern, well, in our eastern river parks is what I've happened to have some statistics on, uh, we've got river parks, maybe almost 40 of them, that on an average have, well, it's between about 1% and 10%, but, a, but roughly 2% is a good average of the park area compared to the total watershed area mm-hmm. that contributes water to those parks. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at a, you know, a, 
a huge landscape, a huge watershed with all kinds of things going on that are not directly managed by the National Park Service, but which can influence things going on in national parks. Anne, did you have another question? Um, Those were good questions. I was wondering, how would one go about finding out um, what the standards are for their local body of water? Um, in the national park system in which they live. Where would you go on the Internet or go to a a local uh, control agent that could teach you? Yeah, you know, those, gosh, I wish I had my water quality guy here because he could give you the websites. But um, (laughs) both both through the Environmental Protection Agency, epa.gov, and I can't tell you where within there, or I suspect through most state... uh, Departments of Water Quality. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, we'll and then type in the local, which, which, where it's local, state, or wherever. Yeah, you would go to your, the state in which you're interested, uh-huh. and and they will and they will list, uh, you know, the the water resources and the the applicable standards for and those also states. Would they, would they... Um, in the National Park Service, let's see, I'm trying to think. We, no, we don't have this on our public. We could uh, eventually. Website, like yeah, but we are putting together in the national park system mm-hmm. a uh, a entire inventory of the the water bodies of the national park system, the uh, designated uses and standards under the Clean Water Act, mm-hmm. and we'll actually show in mapped form which water now, bodies. Now, when they get, when you get uh, that meet, meet those standards. Uh, where would they? Very how good. would they find that on the web? What will it be titled? It's going to be the uh, National Park Services. Uh, Designated use, okay, and impairment database. Okay, I'm sorry, we're almost out of time, and thank you for calling. Well, you're welcome, and, and Bill, uh, thank you. Um, people love education uh, that they crave for it, and what you've chosen to do with your services and uh, the National Park Association uh, groups here in the United States, U.S. Park Services, are it's unbelievable the dedication. Um, I thank you. I hope we can have you on again because I know our listeners will have some questions and maybe we could pick another topic at another time. I know how busy you've been, but thank you, Bill, for being with us. Well, you're welcome, Sharon, and I thank hope you uh, your listeners have a chance. Everybody there, we don't take a look at granted any of you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Well, today we've had some very exciting education, and uh, like I've said before, we're going to have our guests on again as time goes by. Uh, we've had Nancy Yonley Coleman on wellness and aging, but any age. Um, we've had uh, Bill Jackson with the National Park Service and learning more about the hydrology in our park services here in the United States. I want to thank you for being with us today. Embrace your life. Never say goodbye. You have a nice day. Talk Radio, bringing the world to you.